Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Tom Dorian. Tom, you doing okay today? I'm doing great today. Man, I'll tell you what, we got a great guest today. We do. We always get better and better guests. I don't know who we're getting next, but this one kind of takes the cake. It's going to be tough to top this one. He literally takes the cake here at the Catholic Cafe. We gave him a whole cake, and he's, and uh, he's working. Yeah, exactly right. He loved it. We have Father Benedict Rochelle with us. Unbelievable treat. Uh, well known um, for uh, being one of the, uh, the, the, the founders of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. Mm-hmm. Father Benedict, welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm delighted to be here, yes. I hope it's not too luxurious for you. Uh, I know uh, uh, your order takes your poverty seriously, and, uh, yes, and so we want to respect that. Yes. So we took the cushions off of your chair, so we, uh, we appreciate uh, you being here with us. I would love to talk to you today about, you've got a book out that I picked up at one point in time here recently, uh, and it's called I Am With You Always. And it is a study of the history and meaning of personal devotion to Jesus Christ for Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant Christians. And uh, I'm just fascinated by this book. This is a, it's a hefty tome. It's a, it's a, it's a large book. Uh, you could use it to prop open the, a door in a windstorm. It's a, it's a very, very heavy book. Uh, but obviously there's a lot of thought, a lot of love in this book. And, and it probably took you a while to put this thing Ten together. Years. Ten years. Wow. While writing other books in the meantime. Wow, and so this, uh, there, was a, there was a personal devotion for you in putting oh, yes. this thing together as yes. well. Yes, it's basically a history of devotion to Jesus, beginning with St. Paul and coming right up to modern times. Mm-hmm. I end up with Pope John Paul II. Uh, and uh, by devotion, that's an interesting word. Yeah, I was going to say, we should probably define the word devotion yes. here for people. Because a lot of people, they've heard that song, Hopelessly Devoted to You, and they see this as a, as a, as a warm sentiment, maybe. Yes, yes. But there's probably something a little deeper there, isn't there? Well, the idea, you put it in, that there is a sentiment to it. It is not only an intellectual conviction. Uh, the important intellectual convictions in uh, religion and faith, and that's an important thing. But if you just have intellectual convictions, even though they come from faith, there's no personal response to that. Uh, a human being uh, should have intelligence and feeling and conviction. And uh, unfortunately, uh, in the 70s and 80s, among Christians in this country, there had moved into a lot of theological convictions and things like that, and not much more devotion. Now, I have to point out that evangelical Protestants particularly in the South, whether uh, Caucasian or Afro-American, they very much had devotion. Mm. And in the Catholic community, all of the immigrants uh, and the more recent ones from Latin America, Puerto Ricans, for instance, Mexicans, they have real devotion. And if you 
went uh, to visit the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is the second most popular shrine in the world, you would see immense numbers of people with devotion. And uh, I, I happen to be a psychologist, not in theology, but in psychology. And I studied at Columbia University. But because of a psychologist, I'm very aware that you have to have a full range of human experiences, intelligence, understanding, decision, and response, which would call devotion. So what does that mean to have a devotion to Jesus? Well, not only are you convinced that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, what is revealed in the Gospels, in the New Testament, especially St. Paul, and declared in the earliest days of the church, the Council of Nicaea and the other councils after it. The first six councils declared that Jesus Christ is an eternal person, uh, the Son of God, and he came into this world and took upon himself a human body and a human soul from his mother uh, by a miraculous conception. And uh, so we have a, a re remarkable thing in Christianity. Uh, it's not easy to even explain it to uh, kindly people who are not Christians. You're, you're telling me that a man is a god. Right. And uh, my dear good friends that are Jews, this is what is very puzzling to them. Muslims. Very much the right. same. And in fact, we had uh, many of our earliest heresies were all about who Jesus yes, was. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. Because uh, that was always very confusing. And, you know, hence the uh, Nicene Creed. <laughs> yes, and that was the first six ecumenical councils up until uh, four or five hundred. They repeatedly had to go over and over the beliefs in uh, the... Uh, and the Christology, called Christology, the theology of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, many times, uh, Father Benedict, Catholics are accused of being a sort of a functional religion. It can be, but I want to take up that accusation. A great many Catholics are simple people. We have an immense number of people who through immigration right now, immigration from Africa and from Latin America, mm -hmm. especially from Mexico, uh, from Puerto Rico. Uh, and uh, these folks did not have any kind of sophisticated education as a rule. Now, there are universities and professors and learned theologians from Africa, from Latin America, of course. But the vast majority of people are unsophisticated. And when they came into the United States, that's when they came here. And they came, my relatives and yours. They came from Ireland, from Italy, from Germany, from uh, France. And they came 
the vast majority of them a simple mm-hmm. Catholic belief. And that was the foundation of the Catholic Church in the United States. And uh, uh, I would say this. In recent decades, we've become more sophisticated. We have more colleges, more universities, more professors. And I can't particularly say that I think we're very much believing. That ah, amen. Yes. Uh, yes, I, I, I see that because yeah. we've we've still seen the, the numbers of the, the parishioners are starting to fade. Yes. Right. And we, we have a problem in people totally even understanding what the Catholic Church teaches. Yes. And that's perhaps not a surprise. Who listened to Jesus? Who listened to him? Did the scribes? the Pharisees, the professors, or do the people who came and listened to him. And uh, it often says, because in those days, women were not written about or spoken about. Women were in a secondary place. And it says, and there stood at the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, and the other women who came up with him out of Galilee. It's the only name we this big group of people. I always thought if I became a bishop, I would open a church named to the Church of the Women of Galilee. Amen. Because they came to the cross. You'd have a lot of women who would join that church. Oh, yes. Thing. yes. <laughs> and uh, I'm uh, uh, very much interested and dedicated to the role of women in the church. Now, you're about to ask me, do I think that women can be ordained? Oh, was I about to ask you? You're a mind reader. She's a mystic. This is beautiful. And, you know, this has been the Catholic tradition. Uh, A good many women will say to me, I would want to be ordained. You have to put up with all this stuff. (laughs) And if you look through the list of saints... Far more number of women than men, far far more, uh, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, I I went to school to the nuns, the old-fashioned nuns with the old habit, and they were tough. But I went to school for them for grammar school and high school, and I had a wonderful experience of outstanding Christian women who were dedicated and prayerful and worked hard. Well, let me ask you this, since you bring that up. Was this a time where maybe you first started realizing your own personal devotion to Jesus, and did those nuns help you in, in bringing course. that out? Of course. I got my vocation from a sister of charity in the second grade, Sister Teresa Maria. Hmm. And she came to my first Mass. She was then an old lady. And when I preached, I told them how much I got from my vocation from this wonderful, kindly, saintly woman, a holy soul. And uh, 
So some of this devotion, as you're saying before, you know, these, these, the simple immigrants that came over that maybe not have been educated or whatever, but their practice of their faith, the, that, that love for the rosary, that love for, for Holy Mass, uh, that recognition of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that these things are extremely uh, vital and important aspects to a devotional life. And uh, our sponsor made this observation. How blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know that. that oh yeah. You know where that would come. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and to this day, all my life, I have enjoyed working with poor people, uh, and uh, unfortunately, I got dragged into teaching in the seminary. Kicking and screaming. And, and running a, a big retreat house for almost 40 years. Uh, but uh, along with that, I also opened a home, St. Francis House, for kids that don't have a place to go when they get out of uh, a Catholic institution. You know, when they grow up, they've been in the orphanage or mm-hmm. some foster home. So, uh, let me say this. It's, uh, it it's would be too bad for the Catholic Church or any church to be far away from the poor. And thank God, we, as I say, we have African and Latin American people coming into the Catholic Church, into the America and the Catholic Church. And thanks be to God, we have them. Amen. Father, we're going to take a break real quick, and uh, we're going to come back and talk more uh, with Father Benedict Rochelle about a personal devotion to Jesus and what that, what that means in your life. Uh, and we'll do that right after this uh, break. Uh, first, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And also, I'd love for you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so we'll be back right after this. And this is another great moment in church history. The world has long wrestled with belief in God, belief in a supreme and loving creator who transcends all things, all spaces, and all time. And countless words of wisdom have been written through the ages by Catholic and non-Catholic thinkers alike about the meaning, importance, and construct of faith. American writer and poet Elizabeth York Case writes, There is no unbelief. Whoever plants a seed beneath the sod and waits to see it push away the clod, he trusts in God. St. Thomas Aquinas, doctor of the church, writes, To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. If a man wishes to be sure of the road he treads on, St. John of the Cross tells us, he must close his eyes and walk in the dark. Faith, says Helen Keller, is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt writes, He who loses money loses much. He who loses a friend loses much more. He who loses faith loses all. St. Augustine, early father of the church, reminds us, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. In St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus himself speaks of the great power and promise of this gift of faith. He tells us, 
For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. As defined in our Sunday Visitor's Catholic Dictionary, faith is the first of the theological virtues. Together with hope and love, faith brings about the life of sanctifying grace in the human person. Faith is truly a gift from God. We cannot manufacture it or create it out of nothing. It is not a faucet that we can turn on or off. No, it is indeed a beautiful and precious gift given out of love to each of us from God. And by definition, because it is a gift, it must be received. And once received, it must be nurtured, tended, cared for, cultivated, and developed. Faith must be lived or it will die. It is only in living a life of faith that we are truly alive. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth, and we're sitting here with Father Benedict Rochelle. Now, Father Benedict, you were talking about personal devotion to Jesus and what that means. And you were talking a little bit about, uh, you started to speak about yourself and your own, uh, uh, and how the nuns affected uh, uh, your personal devotion. Are there a lot of challenges out there now to having a personal devotion to Jesus? I mean, I think that's an obvious answer to that, but what do you think some of those challenges are? Well, I don't think it's challenged now as it was in the 70s and 80s. But we don't see a lot of people in church. Yeah. So there's well, obviously something going on. Something going on. And that is the secularization of society. Now, it's interesting. The United States never had an established church. It was the first government in history that did not have an established church. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, no, nobody ever thought about it before that. And the United States has free religion, freedom of choice, but nobody's forced in. Surprisingly, there were states that had established churches. Oh. Some of the states. Baltimore had a, the Catholic Church was established. In Pennsylvania, a couple of other states, there were uh, established churches. Quakers and different people like this, Presbyterians. Now, all this comes out in your in your book. Uh, you you go through a, a, a very detailed history, uh, you know, basically from the incarnation to to modern day, where you trace just how we've responded to Jesus and how we've had a devotion to Jesus, or what that that form and shape that has taken over these two thousand years. Which is interesting because the vast majority of those people could not have been able to read. Back in the Middle Ages, about the only people that knew how to read were a very small number of the wealthy and monks and priests. They could read. Right. But, uh, and they learned from reading the Bible. Uh, reading only really became popular after 17 or 1800. And in the United States... Uh, in the 1900s, were many people that did not know how to read, which was unfortunate. Uh, now, 
we have uh, an, an immense numbers of people. And it has to be said that when the Protestant churches were established, as particularly not the big established churches, but churches like the Baptists, the Methodists, they taught their people to read the Bible. That's what they could read. Right. And it became much more literally prepared. Now, uh, the uh, uh, in the world today, the vast majority of people read. And it has changed the world considerably. How did people know about the Bible and the New Testament before? Well stained glass windows. Right. That's what their purpose was. And magnificently, uh, the re- recitation of the rosary with the different mer- me- 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 mysteries in it. Uh, th- there were uh, pictures. Catholics used to be c- criticized for having religious pictures. Right. Uh, th- that was an important part of education. And originally, uh, Protestants in America were against uh, religious pictures, particularly devotional pictures. Mm-hmm. A picture of Christ and saying some prayers in front of the picture. That They had thought this was a form of idolatry. Yeah, so, but, but iconography and uh, beautiful stained glass windows and these, these statues are all part of our devotional life as Catholics. Yes, yes they are. And I hardly ever heard a, a, a Protestant criticize that at the present time. It's a different... Uh, now, different. I think when you hear, Father Benedict, with respect, I think when you hear that there is criticism, it may be that they don't really necessarily understand yes. what the Catholics are doing yes. when they happen to be kneeling and there's a statue of Mary in front of them. Yes. They, you know, the respect that we would pay to that statue is yeah. passing through... Yes. Right to Mary, which goes back to the very early days of the church. They did not have statues; they had mosaics, mm-hmm. and you find mosaics in the catacombs. The oldest picture of Jesus is from the end of the second century. Mm-hmm. It's a mosaic of his face, and remarkably, it's similar to what our face of Jesus is picked. Mm. This must have come on, you know, with the high cheekbones, the thin nose, the hair Mm -hmm. parked in the middle. This is the picture of Jesus. And where did it come from? Well, it very well came from reality, you know. Uh, We'd all be disappointed on the Day of Judgment if Jesus ended up having red hair. (laughs) Well, I don't know. That would at least mean we were in heaven, though, wouldn't we? If we were, uh, if we were there, if we were seeing Jesus. I mean, that hopefully that would be. Well, maybe if we were on the Day of Judgment, standing before His throne, I guess we'd want to make sure that we got through. So we'd say how nice your hair was. (laughs) Now, so you're saying that. that these like the simple immigrants and the people that came over and, and that their their faith uh, was was essentially practiced with these devotional things that that and, and of course there was a deeper love and a deeper meaning to what they were doing. These weren't empty rituals because that's another thing that that Catholics get accused of. And I, you've, yeah. you've addressed that uh, quite well to say that these aren't 
uh, empty rituals. But do you think there are some Catholics who have abandoned these things as if they were sort of ritualistic? Has has some of these have some of these things fallen out of practice, like uh, doing novenas or doing uh, lighting candles, uh, uh, praying the rosary? Well, those when they came and to some degree they went. Uh, they are not kinds of a devotion that would be appealing to sophisticated people. But one of the things about sophisticated people is it's hard to deal with them. Yeah, Tom's a sophisticated person. I oh, had yeah. trouble dealing with him oh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I had the misfortune of going to school for 32 years, <laughs> the last 12 or 14 years part-time. So if you want to call me sophisticated. I think 33 years is sophistication. Yes, 32, right. you were just shy of it. And uh, what I found interesting when I was at Columbia and I got to know my professors, by the way, I was treated very, very well at Columbia. I was treated respect and concern and they were interested because I wear my religious habit and that was a little different mm-hmm. at Columbia but yeah. uh, interestingly enough at a certain Catholic university in New York I got nasty looks but hmm. not at Columbia isn't that interesting uh, one person made a sarcastic remark and the professor was an old Jewish woman from Russia and Dr. Shalita and she took him apart. Ooh. And then she looked back straight at me and she said, I have the greatest respect for the Roman Catholic Church because they have confession. It would do a lot of the Protestants and Jews if they had confession too. They wouldn't waste so much money on unnecessary psychotherapy. <laughs> and yeah, the, was professor of psychotherapy. The uh, self-help books would go off the shelf. Yeah, uh, yeah, there would yeah, not be right. any more of them. Yeah. Uh, amen. Well, this is wonderful. Um, we are so pleased to have you, and we're talking about uh, I Am With You Always, um, a study of the history and meaning of personal devotion to Jesus Christ. And uh, this is a wonderful book. It's available uh, uh, on, uh, by Ignatius Press. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're interested in, in seeing this thing, it's a, it's a it's a great book. Next book, uh, it'll be coming out in paperback. Oh well, that's uh, you know I didn't wait for that, so I had to uh, 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 yeah mortgage the house to be able to, to get this thing. No, actually, it's very reasonable. It's a it's a in, I haven't read it all, Father. There's so much there, but I have uh, bounced all around in it and found it uh, fascinating. And your your take on history is uh, is uh, uh, is very uh, refreshing. Um, and so I encourage people to do that. Now, Father, we're going to make this part one, and we're going to do a part two of this. And we'll, uh, so you'll, hopefully the, all our listeners will join us again to, uh, uh, to, to come to a, a, you know, a wonderful conclusion here in part two. But before we do that, would you uh, lead us in a blessing, perhaps? Oh, Lord, look down upon us all and give us the Holy Spirit upon each one of us that we will grow in the love of God in the service of Christ and and be guided in each things in our daily life. We pray through Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stein, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. 